For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Whereas by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Whereas in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So as it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was made from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this imperishable for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting?
This is the word of our God. Happy Easter, everybody. I didn't hear anything. He is risen. There you go. I knew I'd get you on one of those. Before we start, uh, let me open this in a word of prayer. Lord, you are indeed risen. Um, as we celebrated Good Friday in our Tenebrae service and that, that shattering silence of the stone rolling in front of the tomb and us just walking away, Lord, I, I just think of what the disciples must have been thinking on that day. Um, they had such great hopes in you, and you had done so many wonderful things, and now you were dead, and what came next? And Lord, even though you had plainly told them you would die and in three days rise again, they, they didn't understand what that meant. And so I imagine Holy Saturday was just a time of confusion and, and desperation and just a sense of loss. What happened to our great and wonderful prophet, Jesus? And so, Lord, when we join with them here on Easter morning, we celebrate that that stone rolled away and the body missing from the tomb. And then, Lord, you appear with them and you talk with them and prove that you've been risen. Lord, what joy that is. And so, Lord, we pray that that your church across the city, across our nation, across the globe, this morning as we're celebrating and remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we really do every Sunday, but this Sunday especially, Lord, I pray that you would fill your church with a, a sense of wonder and awe that you rose again from the dead. And Lord, would you fill us this morning with that same sense? Help us to recognize the tremendous miracle that the resurrection is and to celebrate the tremendously great news that it is to us. So Lord, would you be with us and your church everywhere this morning in a very special way as we remember the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the resurrection of Jesus really is a remarkable, I mean, it's like we were saying in Sunday school this morning, people don't rise from the dead. They just don't. And so the fact that one did really is startling. It's, it's hard to believe people really struggle with, with the resurrection and try to find excuses for it. Um, but it's, it's really not a deniable fact. You have to wrestle with it somehow. Um, and so some of the answers are not great and some are really bad. Um, in 2019, the Reverend Dr. Serene Jones, president of Union Theological Seminary tweeted, Happy Easter. You can believe in resurrection without believing in a bodily resurrection. Faith is more than adherence to rigid dogma, as if that's good news. She then included a link to a, a New York Times interview that she had done. And part of it, what she said there was she said, when you look in the Gospels, the stories are all over the place. There's no resurrection story in Mark, just an empty tomb. Those who claim to know whether or not it happened are kidding themselves. But the empty tomb symbolizes that the ultimate love in our lives cannot be crucified or killed. She went on and said, for me, the message of Easter is that love is stronger than life or death. That's a much more awesome claim that the, than that they put Jesus in a tomb and three days later he wasn't there. For Christians, who, uh, for Christians for whom the physical resurrection becomes a sort of obsession, that seems to me to be a wobbly faith. What if tomorrow someone found the body of Jesus still in the tomb? Would that mean Christianity was a lie? No, faith is stronger than that. This is an ordained minister, president of a theological seminary, 
she went on in that interview to dismiss the virgin birth, um, the idea of hell, and life after death, and yet claimed that faith was, was stronger than that. All I could think of when I read that tweet was what Paul said in our chapter this morning. For if the dead are not raised, then even Jesus wasn't raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. So she could claim faith and, and hold faith up even without a resurrection or a virgin birth or hell or anything. She is contradicting Paul directly. Uh, Paul is not being uh, is, is not adhering to a rigid dogma, and he's not kidding himself. For him, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was extraordinarily important. And so the good news this morning is that Jesus has bodily risen from the grave that he's the first fruits of that resurrection. And so when we look at this and we consider Jesus' resurrection, we're going to look at Jesus' resurrection, but also ours. And to do that, we're going to look at first the fact of the resurrection, and then we're going to look at the fruit, first fruits of the resurrection, and then the future of the resurrection. So for Jesus' resurrection and ours. So the, the first section that I had um, um, Rick Reed, or, um, Rich Reed was uh, where he says, I, for I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I received. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is of first importance. It's not a secondary doctrine. It's not something we can quibble over or, or disagree on. Paul says it is of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is of first importance. And that's because the gospel rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I said, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. That's the gospel, is if you trust in Jesus Christ, he is atoned for your sins. And so if Christ is still dead in a tomb, then you're still in your sins and you've lost the gospel. So that, that's kind of the point of this, is Jesus physically rose from the grave in history. And so with Paul, it's so important to Paul that he goes on and he says, that uh, he appeared to Cephas, then the 12, then to 500, most of whom are still alive. So if you doubt me, go talk to him. And then, uh, so, though some have fallen asleep, he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And then last of all, one untimely, he appeared to me. So there's, there's a theory that tries to dismiss the resurrection that says it was mass hysteria. The, the disciples on Holy uh, Saturday were so, dis so despondent. They were so upset that they had lost Jesus that somebody said, I think I saw him. And then everybody else began to have that glimmer of hope. Oh, I think I saw him too. Isn't that great? Because they wanted Jesus to be alive so much. And so it, somehow this, this hysteria spread from Cephas to the 12 to James to everybody. But Paul is the sticker in that. He is the sticking point in that. Of everybody who he just listed, who was the one who really, really didn't want Jesus to be alive? Paul the Pharisee. So for Paul the Pharisee to go from saying, Jesus is not alive, you people are heretics, to Paul the apostle, something significant had to happen. I don't think the delusional um, uh, explanation will work. Jesus' resurrection is a fixed point in history. It is a fact. It, it is it has occurred that historians, even secular historians will agree. Jesus lived. He lived in Nazareth. He was killed by Pontius Pilate. And something happened that his disciples thought he raised from the dead. 
So even if they don't believe in resurrection, they know that something significant happened at that point. I just happen to think the best, clearest, most rational explanation is he rose from the dead, like they said, because they were there and they saw it. So the first part of this is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fixed fact. And so that's something that you have to uh, uh, wrestle with. If, If he is risen from the dead, just as he said, then his word has an authority that nobody else could have. There have been plenty of other people who claim to be something significant, and they died, and they're still dead. Only Jesus could tell them, I'm going to die in three days, and then I'm going to rise, and then he did it. So the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is a set, established fact. But what does it mean for us? What, 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 does that happen? Uh, what does that mean that he rose from the dead? And that's this next section, verses 20 through 23, or uh, through uh, 49, rather, I'm sorry. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's not an argument. He has been raised from the dead. And Paul says that he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So there were other people who were raised from the dead. Lazarus, most notably, uh, the the widow of Narn, her son was raised. uh, uh, In the Old Testament, somebody fell on the bones of, um, died and fell on the bones of Elijah and they were raised. But all three of those have died again. They're gone. So it wasn't never really considered to be a resurrection. It was a revivification, a coming back to life, if you will. Jesus, though, is resurrected. He didn't just come back to life. When he came back to life, he is the first fruits of something that comes later. And so when we look forward, we say, what does it mean that he's the first fruits? Well, the first fruit is that first harvest that you bring, that wheat that comes in the first time. And that was supposed to be given to God. It was like the best of the harvest. It was telling you what was coming next. Would this be a rich and full harvest? Would this be thick, you know, or would it be really thin and wispy? What was our harvest going to be like? That's what the first fruits would tell you. And that's what happens here. Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. So now where Paul goes with that is though, he says, he, he makes this comparison. He says, for as by man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. In Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive, but each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits. So the picture he paints is there is a group that we are in Adam. Adam, if you will, is our first fruits. And his first fruits are bitter. They're really bad. He he decided in the garden that he didn't need to listen to God, that he would do things his own way, that he would um, figure out his own path. He wanted to be like God and he would disregard God. That fall puts everybody, all of humanity in Adam, puts us in that category. So when we look around and we want to know what's wrong with this world, why is it so messed up? We have an answer. The first fruits were bitter. So why is it that children were shot and killed at Covenant School in Nashville, at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut, at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, and so many others? Why is that? Why is that evil exist in the world? Why is it that there are so many sexual predators abusing children in churches and schools and on sports teams? And why do so many people know about it and not say anything? Why is that? Why does that happen? Why do hackers break into computer systems and steal and sell personal information? Why do they do that? Where does that come from? Why did the former Palmdale mayor take half a million dollars in kickbacks? Why would he do that? Why did someone steal the copper off our air conditioning units and cost cost us tens of thousands of dollars to repair? Why do I sometimes get jealous and mean and petty? Why do I do that? Why do you? 
The answer goes all the way back to the garden. We are in Adam. The first man is of the dirt. He is of dust. Adam has broken covenant with God. He has disobeyed. That introduced sin into the world. So all of those, all of those issues that I brought up, there are multiple different, very complex answers to what causes all of those things. What would drive somebody to do those things? It, it's, it's complicated, and some of them are as bad as the, the crimes themselves. But the question is, where does all that come from? And what we have to start with is we're in Adam. That's where we're at now. Sin and death have been brought in by Adam's uh, violation of God's commandment. And so that's why the world doesn't feel right. That's why when we hear the news, sometimes we just weep because it's like another one. Why one more? When is this going to stop? There's a hope that we have that it will stop. And that's a good thing. But right now we have to face the point that we're in Adam. But the good news is the resurrection of Jesus Christ says there's another one coming. Here's another harvest. This first fruits is not bitter. It's actually beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. And that's where we're hoping towards. That's where we're going to attain to is the resurrection, just like Jesus Christ. As we bore the image of Adam, we're going to bear the image of the resurrected Jesus. That's great news. So one of the questions that comes up is, what will it be like for us in resurrected bodies? And one of the favorite questions is, what age will I be? That's the one that I'm not sure we can answer from looking at Jesus because Jesus died and rose again three days later. He didn't undergo corruption. In other words, his body didn't decompose. So when God puts a body back together, I don't know what it's going to be like. But we can look to Jesus and we can say there are some things that we can count on being like him. So one of the things is sometimes people recognized him and sometimes they didn't. So Mary at the tomb in John 20, she turned and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. She said, and Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? What are you, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, where have you carried him away? Tell me and I'll, where you've laid him and I'll, I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized him. So she didn't recognize him at first. And then she did. So you could say she was expecting Jesus to be dead. And so when she meets a man who's not dead, she might have thought, wow, he looks kind of like Jesus and didn't recognize him until she heard um, Mary, her name. And then she changed. That I don't think really explains all of those encounters because there is the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking with these disciples. It was hours from Jerusalem to Aramea, uh, to uh, um, uh, I just forgot the word, Emmaus. <laughs> it was hours. And, and what happened on that, that trek? He's teaching them. So they would go, I recognize this teaching. I recognize this style. And they may have thought, oh, he looks like Jesus. But to say he looks like Jesus and he sounds like Jesus. Oh, by the way, he teaches like Jesus. I think that would have overcome that obstacle. So I think it's possible that he kept their eyes from seeing them because when they could see in uh, uh, Luke 24, it says, when he was at table with them, he took bread and broke and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So for a resurrected person, it's possible to be that same person, to, to, but to not recognize him. There's something different, but there's something the same because they did recognize him. And then in another one in John 21, none of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So you can know them, you cannot know them. That's one of the things. And that kind of plays into this next one. 
Jesus' resurrected body still bore the wounds of his execution. So uh, Luke 24, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. This is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. That's where the wounds were from his crucifixion. They were proof. This is me, you guys. I've risen from the dead. It's the same body that's risen. Uh, Luke 20 says a similar thing. Um, When he said this, he had showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad, and they saw the Lord. And then finally, the the most classic one is Thomas. Thomas, who says, "I, I, I won't believe until I probe his side myself. And so Jesus comes and says, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand in my side. It's me. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And so what is Thomas's response to that? My Lord and my God. He knew it was the same Jesus. So it's the same body, but it's recognizable, but not recognizable. Um, One of the other questions that I, I get asked whenever we talk about this stuff is, will we eat in the new heavens and the new earth? Will we eat in the resurrection? And I've got great news for you. You will. In Luke 24, Jesus said, while they still believed for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. He he was doing that to demonstrate this is a physical body. I'm not a spirit. Look, I'm eating. Um, So one of the other ways you can know that we can eat in the new heavens and there are resurrected bodies is what does Jesus say that that final state will be? It will be the wedding feast of the lamb. Come in and eat and celebrate. So whatever it's like, whatever that means in the resurrection, we won't eat from deficiency or need or weakness, but we will feast and enjoy that. It will be a a source of joy. So Jesus is physically raised from the dead with the same body he went into the tomb. He's recognizable, but there's something different and can't quite place what's going on. And yet he's physical. He's there. Now, it doesn't appear, and I don't really have good scriptures for this, but it doesn't appear that Jesus' resurrected body could be in more than one place at one time. Whenever he appears, it's not like he was in Emmaus, and by the way, he met somebody at the tomb or something. He, he, he appears to be in one place at one time, so physical human nature remains the same. Um, his divinity is omnipresent, but his, his physical nature is temporal. It has to be in one place at one time. Um, there are some things about his resurrected body that are a little bit less clear. Um, so if, if you don't agree with me, that's cool. I just want to point out some mm, maybe. So I heard uh, this this past week, they said that Jesus, after his resurrection, could pass through walls. Um, And they get that from John 20. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he repeats it again a little bit further in the chapter. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So the idea is they've locked themselves in the upper room, barricaded themselves, and Jesus passed through the wall and appeared in the middle of them. Um, that's possible. That's a, a possible interpretation. But there's some yeah buts in there, too. First of all, it says he came, not he appeared, not he transported in, but he came and stood among them. And in both cases, his response is, peace be with you. So it seems that they locked the doors, as he said, for fear of the Jews, not trying to keep Jesus out. 
So if Jesus, if it's possible for us to see Jesus resurrected and not know that it's him right away, it's entirely possible he came in with the crowd that went into the upper room. They closed the door. And then when he decided, he said, now you can understand who I am. And he, st- he came and stood in the midst of them. So it's possible. I think either interpretation is, is possible. Um, the other thing that that person said was that uh, they said that the angel ro- rolled the stone away from the tomb, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in because he could walk through walls. He could, he could pass through it. Um, it's not abundantly clear when that stone was rolled away. It, it's kind of hard to nail it down. In Matthew, it says, now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing like white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know who you seek, uh, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. So in that telling, it sounds like the women showed up at the temple, the angel rolled the stone away, and they saw that it was empty. So Jesus left before the stone was closed. I don't think you have to read it that way. It could be a summary of events, but Luke tells it slightly different. Luke says, but on the first day of the week, early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went in, and they did not find the body of Jesus. So it's possible that the earthquake and the stone being rolled away happened previous, and then the women came and met the uh, angel. Not not abundantly clear. I don't think it's really super important necessarily to prove it one way or the other. There is a verse, though, that does kind of substantiate that idea that Jesus could do things that normal human bodies couldn't. And that's um, the one verse is from uh, the, the road to Emmaus. When he broke bread and they recognized him, it says, and he vanished from their sight. And that word for vanished, is it, literally what it reads is he became invisible from them. And so it could be that he broke the bread, he handed it to him, they looked and they went, it's Jesus, and whew, he's gone. That, that's a reasonable interpretation. A couple of yabbats on that one as well. Uh, first of all, it says he became invisible from them, not he became invisible to them. So it could be, remember, this is at night, they've traveled, he could have just very quickly stepped out of the room and disappeared into the night, they couldn't see him anymore. Um, Also, when those two disciples turn around and head back to Jerusalem, and they report what happened, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them from the breaking of bread, but not that he vanished from their sight. So again, I don't know, for sure, I'm not going to be overly dogmatic that we can, in the new heavens and new earth, walk through walls. I'm not positive about that. And I don't think it really matters that much. The part that's really clear is pretty glorious. This this body that we are raised in, like Jesus, as he is the first fruits and we follow after him, it won't decay. It won't break down. It's not subject to corruption and sin and and disease and all of those things. We, We walk with him. So will we bear the wounds that we had in our life? I'm not sure. If we will or not, I, I think if we look at Jesus as the pattern, maybe the martyrs will. People who were beheaded or tortured or those kind of things will, will have the scars because it will show God's glory, like Jesus' wounds did. Uh, it's the best I can theorize on that. But the, the great thing is Jesus has shown us what our resurrection will be like. He's shown us what we're heading toward, where we're going. That comes from the gospel because Jesus died. He died for our sins. He rose again for our justification. Because he did that, 
it's sure that we will follow in that path, that we will be raised like him. We will walk with him. We'll go with him. And so that brings us to the last section, the future of the resurrection. This is starting in verse 50. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. That's the hope of it. When Jesus returns, he returns with the shout of an angel and the blast of a trumpet. And in an instant, those of us who are alive on the earth are changed. We go from our mortal body to our new body. Those who have died in Christ are raised with him. And they're raised in their new resurrection body. So what's that like? He says, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. So some people interpret that to mean, well, we just lose our body and we're spirits floating around. But that doesn't flow with the rest of what he's saying. What he says is this flesh and blood that we have now can't inherit the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom is eternal and this is not eternal. Sorry, younger folks. You're going to eventually wind up like me. I'm sorry. You just get old. It, it kind of creeps up on you. This body is not fit for eternity. So we have to be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And then he says in verse 53, for the perishable body must put on imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Notice he doesn't say, for the perishable has to be replaced by the imperishable, and the mortal has to be replaced by immortality. He says the perishable has to put on imperishable. The mortal has to put on immortality. So that's why I'm saying that the resurrection body that we'll have will be this body, but it will be different. Just like Jesus, it was his body that he went into the tomb with. They didn't find his old body in the tomb and a new body walking around. He, he was raised again in that body. This body is going to be brought back. That's not bad news. If you're not happy with it, I'm, I'm looking forward to my glorified hairline, but I, I don't know what it'll be like. I, maybe I will be satisfied to have uh, the, the non-glorified hairline in eternity. But whatever it is, I'm going to put on imperishability. I'm going to put on immortality. This body will be changed into something new so that it can inherit the kingdom of God, so that it can survive and live forever with God in heaven on earth. That's the great news. Death is swallowed up in victory. It's gone. And so the, then he quotes in verse 55 from Hosea, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, you gave it your best shot. You did your worst. And Jesus took it all, and then he stood up. He did something that no other human being could possibly do. He overcame death. And so when we show up with him, when we're in, moved from being in Adam to being in Christ, and we put on the imperishable, we look at death and go, nice try. Didn't work. My king is, is greater than you. That's the great news is, is in Adam's fall, he, the sin brought death. And God said, that's not permanent. That has a shelf life. Sin is going to have this long to live. Death is going to have this long to go. And then at the end, it's done. I will have broken it. Death is utterly defeated because sin is utterly defeated because Jesus rose from the grave. This is of first importance. This is the gospel. This is the good news. 
This is Easter. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Ah, Lord Jesus. We're looking forward. We're anticipating that trumpet. Not just so that the back ache goes away and the sore knees are gone and, and those kind of things. Lord, we're looking for that last trumpet because that heralds your return. That heralds the king has come to take his throne. And Lord, we look forward to that. The blessing, the, the abundant blessing is, Lord, you make all things new in that. You make us new. You, you change our bodies from the imperishable man of dust to be like yours so that we can reign with you, so that we can be with you for eternity. And Lord, what a great and glorious thought that is. You've made our spirits eternal, but our bodies are perishable. And you're going to solve that problem too. Lord Jesus, thank you on Easter morning for rising from the tomb. And not just for rising, but also for appearing to Mary and to Peter and James and to the 12 and to the two disciples in Emmaus and to the 500 at one point, And then finally to Paul, your enemy, and bringing him to yourself. Lord, your, your resurrection proves your triumph over all our enemies, all our foes, all the things we could never touch. And so, Lord, we praise you for that, and we anticipate that. And we say, Lord Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. May that trumpet sound soon. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.